Welcome to the third episode of Conflict and Conversation on social media. Today we're going to speak to Rudy Rochman. Rudy is considered a social media influencer. He was born in France, later moved to Israel at a young age, and at the age of five he moved to the U.S. After serving in the IDF, Rudy went to school at Columbia University. He currently has 103,000 followers on Instagram, where he frequently posts about Jewish rights. Great to have you, Rudy. Let's get right to it. As a political influencer in a super complex conflict, how do you evaluate what to post um, online without spreading any uh, misinformation? Well, whatever I post, I try to make it as open-minded as possible and to include the different perspective and nuances that are uh, in this conflict. The problem is we've been so conditioned to think that to be pro-Israel is means that you have to be anti-Palestinian and to be pro-Palestinian, you must be anti-Israel. And there are truths that exist on both sides. Um, there are truths that exist that Palestinians are dealing with a situation where they're suffering, where they have lack of representation and lack of resources. And that doesn't mean that Israel is the horrible side and Israelis are also suffering. And that doesn't mean that the Palestinians are the horrible side. So whenever I'm trying to post something, it's because I'm trying to heal a situation and give the full picture for people to really be able to transcend these uh, narratives that are trying to oppose one another and to make everything as a zero-sum game. Whatever thing I'm, I'm posting, it's not to take a side. It, it's more to heal the situation and to bring people together. Now, when I mean it, misinformation, it's not necessarily to post something that is wrong. But I think also if you post, if someone posts like, let's say, a 20-second video about something that's happening, um, wherever it is, and they don't give the right context or someone doesn't know enough to be able to understand that 20-second video, it's almost like spreading misinformation. So as a political influencer, where I'm sure a lot of people follow you who do not have a lot of knowledge about the conflict, how do you evaluate that aspect? Well, again, it depends on the situation, but uh, something specific that I can talk about is, for example, a few months ago, Whoopi Goldberg um, you know, got a lot of pushback for saying that Jews were white, and that uh, it, it wasn't because it was a race and the Nazis didn't do this. And she didn't really understand what she was saying. And she has a large platform, so she should be a little bit more uh, careful before saying things on topics that don't really relate her and that she's not an expert on. But I don't think she was coming from a place of being anti the Jewish people. Like her sentiments and her intention wasn't anti-Semitic, but her words and trying to minimize the Jewish experience to sort of white, whitewash it and to consider the Jewish people a part of this race that they've always been persecuted by uh, is in itself anti-Semitic. So you can provide the truth and the context of why what that person said was wrong without having necessarily to demonize them, but also understand where they're coming from and to give a bigger picture. So it's not like when I see something that's being said wrong, my intention right now is not to demonize the other side in -hmm. order to get some points for our side, it's to correct what was said wrong, to leave space for what was said that was correct, and to allow us to be able to move forward rather than to sticking on the fighting each other. But when you post your own original content, like without answering someone else, but you're yeah. post- posting your own original content, I know that most of the time you post conversations that you have with people, so it's kind of different. But when you post something, um, when trying to explain the situation, do you give like some other context or do you only kind of just post what's going on? The, the best way to really be able to give an argument or for other people to understand the argument that you're making is to 
give examples for things that they already see to be true. What I'm trying to explain is I'll, I'll associate it to things that make it a lot easier for people to understand based on what they already see to be true. Do you think that non-political influencers such as Gal Gadot or Gigi Hadid, do they have a responsibility to post about what's going on because one's from Israel and one's from Palestine? Or do you think that they don't need to post at all? Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, everyone makes their own decisions. But if I have one of my brothers that is being attacked, even though that person is not attacking me directly, I have a responsibility to defend my brother. So on behalf of Gigi Hadid and Bella Hadid, yeah, they should be talking about, about the situation. They shouldn't be demonizing the other side and making it impossible for us to move forward and you know throwing out lies. Um, doesn't mean that they should do it in the way that they're doing it, but they should have a responsibility to defend their people and to help us transcend and to fix something. Um, and for Gal Gadot, absolutely. You know, I was very hurt when she barely posted anything during the last conflict that we had. In fact, I think the only thing she posted was a 24-hour story about how she just wants peace for both sides, right? When there's your country and people and family are being under attack and people are dying left and right. And finally, you have been able, thankfully, due to your talent and skill, to rise to a position where you have the, the ears and the hearts of so many people and you have the opportunity to spread light where there's so much darkness against your own family and country and people and you're not going to take that opportunity because you're afraid of the repercussions that it will have financially economically socially then you know what's the point of even being able to elevate yourself in the first place if you can't you know give back so i do think that people who have power in whatever way have a responsibility to use that power but that doesn't mean you just use it um you know recklessly or with the intention to hurt someone else. You should use it in order to create light and to make things better. You know, I do think that, that when you have power, you have a responsibility to use that power in order to make the world a better place. And I do think when your family is being attacked that you have a responsibility to defend them. Now, it's up to every individual to take their own actions. Uh, I would have liked to see something. I was hurt not to see something from her as the biggest, let's say, movie actress uh, that is on the Israeli side currently. Do you ever feel that kind of pressure from your from your followers to maybe post more about the Palestinian side or that you're not posting the full picture or something like that? I'm sure a lot of people have opinions and people are always looking to criticize rather than understand. Um, I'll give you an example. The last video I posted was a conversation I had with uh, some people on the streets in Denmark. And basically that entire day, the community had invited me to do some street interviews and have all sorts of conversations, which we have maybe like six or seven videos coming just from that day. And while we were filming, there were a group of homeless looking individuals that were sitting down with their backpacks and they asked, you know, what I was filming. And I told them I'm asking some questions, but I can't tell you unless I film you answering those questions. And they said, yeah, yeah, we want to answer those questions. So I didn't even walk up to them. They stopped me. And in the end, there was this conversation where they basically showed their anti-Semitic ideas and how they thought that the Jews were responsible for all the problems in the world. Um, and it wasn't really an intellectual deep dive into, into anti-Semitism, but it was just to show the opinions that people usually have about Israel, um, where it comes from, because they were talking about how, yeah, my mother taught me and her mother taught her and her mother taught her. So he's basically saying how anti-Semitism was passed down. And at one point he got extremely uh, aggressive and I stood my ground and calmed him down and then he apologized for it. So the reason I posted that video was to show others how to deal with day-to-day -day conversations that 
is not always going to be with the intellectual types on an Ivy League school, but the normal individuals who have anti-Semitic ideas and how to remain calm and confident in those moments. And I post a video like that, and then a lot of people are commenting, oh, why are you looking to debate these people? You could be debating all sorts of other people. And it's like, I debated the Noam Chomsky's and the other intellectuals. Like, one doesn't prevent the other. And the point of my content is to empower other Jews and even non-Jews to be able to stand up strong and know how to handle certain situations. And this is an average situation that they can find themselves in. So there is always going to be criticism and pushback for things that you do. Um, but I try to, to learn from the criticism if it's valid. I know you put yourself in kind of tough situations also in person, but do you think there is more criticism online because it's online? Or do you, is there a difference in the criticism, do you think, in person or online? And do you think it's easier to kind of have that conversation or you know, open someone else's mind to different thoughts in person rather than online? Definitely. I mean, first of all, I think there's generational differences. I think uh, the younger that you are, uh, the more reactive you are, are going to be. The older you are, the wiser you are, obviously, because you've experienced more of this world and you're less reactive and triggered. Um, I do think when I look at Gen Z as compared to millennials, which there's not that much difference, but there is a lot of differences. Um, that they're usually always going for like from zero to a hundred. There's no middle. And it's like without understanding that there's consequences for going all the way that way or, or to try to make someone your enemy so quickly just because they disagree on a few things with you um, and to say things without thinking that there's consequences. Like I think a lot of Gen Zers don't understand that there are, like I said, consequences for actions and words. And for them, it's just like, this is my current worldview and this is what it's going to be and I'm going to go all in uh, rather than trying to understand a fuller picture and to come together. So it, it depends on the person you're speaking with, but online is definitely more aggressive. It's definitely, uh, you're not looking necessarily for a response. You're just looking to give an output of what you feel. Whereas in person, you have to have the courage. You can see body language. Uh, you have the ability to respond to an individual if they're criticizing. So it's much more dynamic. So there are many differences between in-person or online criticism. And I definitely think in-person for most types of conversations and communications is much better. Well, because social media is such a powerful tool, do you think that what was happening back during the Shomer Chomot, which was about a year ago, do you think what was happening online was more of like an, an image warfare or a competition or was it more of a conversation? What I mean is that Israelis were posting more and Palestinians were posting more. Do you think it was each side was trying to like, you know, get more social capital or were they trying to have a more of a conversation? That's kind of how it is with every subject. If you look at the issues that fall on the right or left, it's usually like that. Um, religious, secular, it's usually like that. And, and it's, it's become a sort of the, the nature of today's world to be very divisive and to see things as a zero-sum game rather than understanding that there may just be truth on both sides. Mm -hmm. um, I think during Shomer Chomot, uh last May, it was very clear that the majority of the information coming on the from the Israeli side and the majority of the information coming on the Palestinian side was trying to make their own side look good and the other side as the bad guy. And, you know, that's unfortunately how the current structure of the conflict is. One side is good, one side is bad. One side is the oppressor, one side is the oppressed. One side is the victim and one side is the terrorist. So that's, that's how it's being portrayed by the media, by our governments, by our societies, by those in, on 
that usually have positions of power. And it's functional to keep a conflict going by making it a zero-sum game. I mean, there's only one way to survive, and it's by one of the sides succeeding. And in my opinion, there's no reality where Israelis or Palestinians disappear. Uh, there's no reality where one side wins and one side loses. As long as one side wins or lose, as long as one side loses, both sides lose. So the only way to truly move forward is to realize what are the injustices that both sides experience, which are different. What are the aspirations that both sides require, which are different? And how do we build a future reality that fulfills those aspirations, that ends those injustices, and allows us to move forward in the future that validates our own experiences, identity, and aspirations? And it's you know a lot easier said than done. But unfortunately, at the same time, most of the work that has been done, either politically, economically, socially, even psychologically, when it comes to the conflict, has never had this sort of mindset and energy when looking at problems. It's always, let me try to make one more right than the other, or have one fight the other, or one instead of the other, rather than both together. And I think this mindset is something that I've been trying to promote a lot in the conversations and videos and the work that I do. And it's helping a lot of people change their positions and their minds from, you know, Palestinian side, from the Israeli side, from people who were anti-Palestinian or anti-Israel and are now realizing that they need to be pro both peoples and that being against one is being against both. So it takes time. But I do think that when you give someone a better option, they're going to choose the better option. So whenever I'm in a debate, it's not necessarily by proving the other person wrong and me correct that I'm going to convince them. It's by understanding the way that they see the world, understanding which words and what kind of language they use to see the world around them, and then speaking an answer through their language so that they could understand it, that gives them a better way to be right with their own worldviews. And then for them, it's like, okay, that, that's a better solution. So mm -hmm. for example, let's say someone really cares, like a Palestinian I'm, I'm speaking to on campus, really cares about the Palestinians. And they're just taught that the way to be against Palestinians is to destroy Israel. And I sit with them and I explain to them, you know, there's no, there's no reality where your people are going to disappear. So I'm sure when you speak to people who think that they need to get rid or kill all Palestinians, it's like ridiculous to you. But it's kind of the same thing when you're speaking about Israel and Israelis. So wouldn't it be better instead of using your energy that needs to be used to solve the problems for your people, to use that in a way to allow us to move forward and to focus on those specific things that need to be done in order for us to truly move forward. Like when you're using the word apartheid, not only is it not the definition of apartheid what's happening in Israel, not only is apartheid only meant to be used for one specific situation, so no one should be appropriating that word from the South African experience, but when you're using that word, every single Israeli will shut their ears. What's the point of, of you talking about the struggles for the rest of the world to hear you? and to care for you, which they do nothing about, or for other Israelis in Israeli society to understand the specific things that you're actually dealing with, that you're using the word apartheid to describe. Why don't you be specific about those things so Israelis can understand and help you actually work towards changing that so you can fix the problems? Is yeah. the point just to sound right, to make other people feel bad for you, to gain social capital, or is the point to use your energy to truly fix the problem? Mm -hmm. And when you can break it down in that way, it allows a person to realize, okay, this person is actually not against me, to the contrary, is my ally. And he's giving me a, a, a way to use the energy that I have that will be most effective to changing my reality and the reality for my future descendants. So mm -hmm. I think that is the best way of communication. But of course, before you get there, 
you have to understand who you're speaking with, which is why a lot of times when I get into a conversation, you know, I'm asking them questions to understand how do they look at the world? How do they resonate? What are their worldviews? What are their opinions? Uh, when they're going to use the word Zion, like they come to me like, are you a Zionist? I was like, well, before I answer that question, what do you define as Zionism? So mm-hmm. I can understand in my question what I need to address to fix the problems within that other person's conclusion on what Zionism is before mm-hmm. even answering. it. So I think in order to get there, you have to really understand who's in front of you and the narrative in front of you, uh, whether it's on an individual level or on a collective level. But do you think that social media can actually get us closer to that goal? Because I agree with you that that goal is is something that we should strive for. But do you think that social media can get us closer to there? Or in other words, can it bridge the differences or as opposed to increase them? Social media is like fire. You can create something or you can burn something. You can, you know, you can spread false information and lies uh, and division and hatred and jealousy and materialism and all sorts of bad values. Mm-hmm. Or you can create content that empowers and that inspires and that educates and that brings love and understanding and compassion and communication and connections. You know, for example, newer um, social media platforms like TikTok that a lot of young people are using, it's not only based on the similar likes that you have, so it's also based on your location. So mm-hmm. now wherever I'm traveling, I'm going to see TikToks of that area, right? If I'm in Africa, I'm going to see TikToks of that region in Africa. If I'm in Israel, I'll see TikToks of that region. But since the Israelis and Palestinians are in such close proximity, they mm-hmm. often have content from both sides of the creators that are being shared by the other side. So Israelis see Palestinian TikToks, Palestinians see Israeli TikToks. When Israelis or Palestinians go on live, they go on live with each other. Now, sometimes people are young and teenagers and are insulting each other, but other times it could actually be like, wow, there's a human being right in front of me. Uh, and you know, a lot of content on, on TikTok is not necessarily political, but also with a lot of humor. And maybe Palestinians see like a Israeli funny TikTok and they're like, wow, this person that I was taught to hate my entire life is actually just a normal human being like me. And that person made me laugh. I might open my mind and heart a little bit more. So there's no doubt that social media is a powerful tool and can be used to spread light, which is why I'm on social media. But it can also be used to do harmful things like it's been done. So do you think that Israeli and Palestinian students in the U.S. have a duty to post reactions or information on social media especially during escalations when the broader world is paying more attention yes but not to make the other side look like the only source of the problem aimed at convincing the world that the other side is the only source of the problem like it's supposed to be to provide more information to a fuller perspective So many Israelis have no idea about the struggles that Palestinians have to face in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, or in Gaza. So if you want to post about how Palestinians are suffering with the current situation without finding a way to make it as like, the reason for why we suffer is only because Israel exists and making it as the source of the other, then that's fine. I think actually think it's very important for Israelis to understand what Palestinians go through and to talk about those struggles and injustices that they face because those are real human beings who are more than just humans. They're our cousins. So we should actually care more than just a random conflict around the world. And they're living in the same land as we are. So we should care even more than that. And we need to do something about it. The problem is that oftentimes, whenever someone's talking about a struggle, it's going to somehow activate emotions on the person that's watching it 
and then use those emotions to fuel the conclusion that the other side is the source of the problem. Mm -hmm. And that's where now you're not creating content to get people to raise awareness about your struggles or about ending those struggles. You're using your struggles as political ammunition to convince someone else, whether your own side or the external world, that the Israelis or the other side is the problem. And that becomes very harmful and only allows this conflict to continue and fuels the conflict. What do you think is the best thing that students who are neither Israeli nor Palestinians, what should they do in order to learn more and be involved about the conflict? Uh, educate themselves, learn all the different perspectives and realize that you are an ally. You're not the person on the forefront and you need to be able to help whatever side you are you end up in whether you're on the side of being pro-Israel or pro-Palestinian and not to use your energy to be anti the other side. Um, and I, you know, I'll give an example for when I was in, growing up, I would often go to the APAC policy conferences. And at these conferences, there was a lot of shallow information and rhetoric of like, hoorah, pro-Israel, you know, nothing actually has substance. And so growing up, I would often go outside to the protester side and have conversations with people who are more critical or even anti-Israel to learn more things. And on one of the last APAC conferences before COVID, I was outside and there was a line of policemen. And on one side, you had Palestinians screaming with their flags and shouting with their megaphones. And on the other side, we had a bunch of Israelis with their flags and shouting with their megaphones. And I'm like looking at this line in between with the police officers. And on one side, it's one side of the family. And the other side, it's the other side of family. And we're screaming past each other. And there's so much energy being used there. So much passion and even compassion for your own side. And if we really used an ounce of that energy towards hearing each other out and fueling a reality that allows us to transcend and build something that works for both, we would be able to get there. But mm -hmm. we're so driven by this idea that the only way to truly survive or to overcome our current struggles is through the other and not with the other, it's what keeps us in this loop. So, you know, I, I would I would push more for Israelis and Palestinians to realize that. And anyone that's an outsider has to be able to push us together and not push us apart. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, you have more foreigners that are on the side of being pro-Palestinian than pro-Israel when it comes to yeah. things on campuses. And they're usually being anti-Israel because it's like a social status today and or they're truly anti-semitic and this is the platform that they can express that without being blatantly seen as anti-semitic so i think israelis and palestinians have to be very careful of individuals like that that get involved uh, and that truly have an agenda against the other side rather than for your own side that's it for us today in the next episode we will be speaking to Professor Senzai, a professor for politics in the Middle East. Stay tuned.